Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church podcast. For more information about Redemption Church, please visit redemptionokc.com. You can stay up to date on sermons by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. I want to also take a few minutes this morning, and we're just going to give you kind of a family update. Um, We do this sometimes on Sunday evenings, but what we realize is not everyone gets here twice on a Sunday, and Sunday mornings are always the greatest opportunity for us to talk to the greatest number of people, and so we're going to take just a minute and do that, and I wanted to share a couple things with you. Um, Man, we are in a unique season in life for our church. One, um, we've just been growing over the last few weeks, and one of the things we've seen really since uh, January, February, we've had two of our highest attended Sundays in about 18 months over the last five, six weeks. And absolutely uh, excited about that. And that's a great thing. We're seeing new families get connected in small groups, new people jumping into serve teams. Um, We'd love to still see you jump on serve teams and jump into small groups. And so uh, if you are one of those new folks, man, we'd love to just get you plugged in here. Um, Can I just encourage you guys as we see new faces, would you just be as welcoming as you possibly can without being weird? Like, that would be awesome just to love people, just to grab hold of them and say, man, we're excited they're here. Let me meet you. Let me introduce you. Let me just give you a tip on something. The people that are sitting over here that you look at the people in this group and you go, man, I don't know if they've been around a long time or they're new. Here's the reality. They don't know if you've been around a long time or new either. So just introduce yourself to one another. Um, Say hello, greet one of those uh, people around you. Um, Can I encourage you also, one of the ways you can help us is it's kind of like going to the movie theater. You know, you don't really want anyone sitting next to you. You hope to get the row where everyone's empty, but that doesn't always work out. And you guys don't pay for these seats, so I get it. But if you guys could just scoot to the middle, especially in this middle section, or scoot to one of the, kind of kind of scoot in as you see people coming in, and just be aware. As this place fills up, uh, it's hard sometimes to find a seat. And so just be aware and scoot over if you see someone that looks like maybe they're looking for a seat or looking for a place to grow. Um, Honestly, man, one of the things that we've been talking about even is if we get to a place where we start having max attendance for about six weeks in a row, one of the things we'll have to start talking about is, man, do we want to look at doing two services in here? And wouldn't that be cool if God multiplied us and we got to see multiple services happening in here as kids are in that room and um, God's doing really good stuff in, in, our, in our kids' ministry as well. And we'll talk some more about that tonight. But uh, let me just give you a couple ways, specific ways you can help us out. One, you've probably seen this graphic before of the great room. Uh, you know how when you, uh, when you think about going into a house, you tend to go into an entryway. You tend to go into kind of a centralized space that oftentimes in a house is called the great room. Uh, Sunday mornings for us are the great room of our church. That when you think about our church family, Sunday mornings is where people first walk in and they first get a taste of who we are. And when you invite guests into your home, uh, what do you typically do? You tell your kids, hey, go stuff your stuff under your bed, go get everything back in the room, but let's at least get the great room clean. Like, let's at least get the main area clean so that we can welcome people in and we tend to roll out and be hospitable in that space. Well, as a church, we want to do the exact same thing. And so as we think about Sundays, we want people to have a great experience on Sundays so that they will move into the other areas of our church. It's not that Sundays is the only thing that matters or the most important thing, but if you look at this next uh, graphic or image here, people are going to tend to come here on Sunday before they get in a small group. 
before they jump on the serve team or before they jump into uh, one of our equip nights or, or, or maybe jump into one of our men's or women's ministry or before they go out and serve our world on a mission trip or serve our city over at Restore OKC, they're gonna taste here on Sunday morning first. And so we want to just encourage people to roll out and do a great job of welcoming people on Sunday. So let me just encourage you, kind of four ways you can help us uh, specifically in this season uh, in the life of our church. One is, um, can you just love one another? And just love the people that are around you. Whoever that, that walks in the door and sits next to you, would you just encourage them? Would you just love on them? Uh, would you just uh, be kind to them? If Jesus can leave the 99 and chase the one, surely we can scoot over and let the one find a seat. Right? Like, let's, just, let's, be, let's just be uh, kind, good-hearted people uh, that love those around us and say hello and, and welcome them to be a part. Uh, secondly, um, we just wanna encourage everyone to serve one. Uh, you know, uh, when you think about kind of what it takes to do things, we want everyone here to serve one Sunday a month. Many hands make light work, as the old proverb or saying goes. And, and so we just want everyone to pitch in. And if everyone takes a little bit, then no one has to carry the heavy weight of the burden and we all can, uh, we all can, do, our, can do a part. And so th- this is just too important. When God's, when God's moving and God's working and God's using our, his church to draw others to himself, it's just too important work for us to sit on the sidelines. And so we just wanna invite you to come and be a part of that. Uh, thirdly, and would you consider leading a small group? Um, we really desire to double the number of small groups this year. It means we're looking for 10 to 12 people to step up and lead either a men's group or, or a women's group or, uh, or maybe a mixed group, maybe one of, uh, maybe one of these other, um, oh, good grief. What's the name of your class? I'm blank. Financial Peace University groups. Um, just sitting there and I was like, I'm drawing a total blank, but I know who you are. Uh, but if you just would consider and pray, prayerfully consider, then is God drawing you? Like if you've been in church for years and you've been poured into and poured into and poured into, but you've never, but that's kind of been a cul-de-sac and it just sits right here. And maybe God wants to use you as a conduit to be a blessing to others and maybe use all that you've received and, and been equipped with to mentor and direct and guide others and help, uh, help them kind of navigate the road ahead. And so, you know, would you just prayerfully consider um, jumping in, leading a small group with us? And then uh, fourthly, would you consider growing your giving this year? Uh, we mentioned last week that even though our attendance has been up, our giving when January was a little bit down. And so it's just an opportunity for us to be aware of, and there's, there's needs that we have in terms of, in terms of us uh, <clears throat> as a people of God um, carrying out the mission. The, the mission of God rarely advances uh, without the money to, help motiv- money to help empower that. And so um, that's just something we wanna put in front of you. Um, let me just give you a, a couple ways. I, sometimes one of, one of our board members was talking to us this week and he just said, and I don't think people have any idea really what money goes to or how this whole church thing works. That sometimes we get this idea that, I mean, there's just some person out there that funds the whole thing or that God just kind of rains money down and it just shows up and ministry happens. And so let me just tell you where some of our money goes, some of our money, your money goes when you, when you give to the church. Um, when you think about this, when you look at the students, uh, we give about 15,000 go to students um, for the year. Um, when you think about kids ministry, it takes about $10,000 for us to pull off kids ministry for the year. And adults, uh, there's about $16,000 that goes to, um, to, to our, group, our serve teams, our groups, our leadership development. Everything that gets poured into our adults um, really is in that category. When you think about Sunday mornings, uh, what it takes for us to do worships, about $20,000. Um, and this is annually. Um, I mean, we, we run a pretty lean ship. 
uh, to be real honest. Uh, $25,000 goes to church planting, missions, and benevolence, caring for the poor, you know, people that have needs within our body and just we're able to give to them and help support them in times of need. $41,000 goes to communication, admin, paper, all the stuff that we need just to, just to kind of make all those ministries um, come together. And then it takes about $100,000 for our facility. That's our office space and for this space on, on Sundays. And so that's, that's what it takes for us to do. The rest of your giving goes to personnel. And so you can see just based on those numbers, um, we, we really run a pretty lean ship. We honestly need to add some staff if we continue to grow uh, in order to facilitate things that are, that are happening and continue to develop the ministry that we have. So when you look at that list though, uh, like which one of those things do we wanna lose? Like if you look at that, which one of those do we wanna cut off? Like student, no, none of those, right? All those seem vital to a healthy, thriving church. We need them all. And so we wanna invest in each of those areas and we'd love to see that continue to grow. Um, do you see that big ticket item for the facility? And that's a lot of money that goes into that every year. And we really would love and just feel the sense that it's time for us to look for a more permanent place to call home. Uh, in order for us to do that, we've got to cover our monthly expenses and honestly have a little more coming in every month in order to take the next step of faith and say, what does it look like for us to, to go out and get a building? And so what that's going to take is it's going to mean all of us locking arms and just saying, man, let's, let's go all in and figure this thing out. Let's sacrifice and let's do uh, what, what we need to do in order to make it happen. You know, it's amazing when we, we talk about this all the time is that God seemingly had an idea that what it was going to take to make church happen. Uh, you know, if, if we all tithed and gave what God said to give, did you know we'd have more than double what our budget needs are? Like if we all, it's almost like God knew what it was going to take. Like God had an idea of the way the world was going to work. And so he had principles in there to guide us in this. And if we followed him, honestly, we'd have more than double what we need. And so can I just encourage you as you think about where it is that God wants to lead you to give and to be a part of those things, I think that will really help us. Um, friends, this is Jesus' church. This was his idea. Uh, he came up with this, thing, this entire uh, concept of the church, and by his grace, we get to build something that, 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 that hopefully by his grace is going to outlive us. This is going to be a blessing to the city and this world for decades to come. And so we're building something and trusting the Lord for that. And, and we're the church. The church is never a building. The church is never a ministry. The church is never just a staff. The church is a people and it's us and we're all in this together. And so, and we just wanna encourage you as you think about that and, and ask Chris to pray for us and tell you about a couple opportunities we have as well. Yes, it's so helpful to hear you walk us through that. It's, isn't it good to just like, as a family, kind of wrap our arms around what is it that we're doing together? Um, so thanks for those updates. Um, I do want to pray for us. I want to invite you guys to pray uh, for all these things too and, and just enter into celebrating what God's doing here. Um, a couple of things you can do to continue uh, hearing more about this and support these things. You can come tonight to our All Church Vision Worship and Prayer Night. So we do these quarterly and, uh, and we'd really love these to be well attended just so that we can spend some extended time together praying for the needs of our church. And so we wanna invite you to that tonight. Um, it starts at 6 p.m. tonight. We'll go for about an hour and a half and we'll talk a little bit more about ministry and what's happening in the life of our church. We'll give you a little more details, uh, but then we're gonna spend some time just praying and, and worshiping God together in that. So come to that. And then secondly, our... Um, Membership workshop is 
in two weeks. So if you're new here and you're really looking at what does it look like to be an active member of this church, we want you to come through that workshop and hear about it. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to commit to be a member at this time, but it means that you're working toward that. And, you're go- and that workshop is designed just to show you what we mean by discipleship, um, what we're calling discipleship, and, and uh, what we're committing to you guys. So two things that would help you in that. Um, let me just pray and, and just invite you guys to pray with me. Um, God, thank you Thank you for your provision. You have done amazing and wonderful things through this church. And we're just floored as we look back at the six years and all the ways that you've provided for us from moving from a living room to another school to, the, to a bigger school. God, you just seem to be with us along the way. And as we retrace our steps, we see your faithfulness and the way you've provided for us every step of the way. So God, we just declare right now as a church, we trust you and we look forward to all the things that you are calling us to. And God, we ask that you give us courage, uh, that you give us the tools we need to step in and to be the body of Christ. God, I pray that every member of this church would feel purpose and meaning. They'd have a job to do here, that they would wrap their arms around this church knowing this is what God's called me to be and do. Father, we trust you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, hey, a couple other notes on that. We all, we'll also have an uh, update on elders. Uh, we are moving forward with training elders, and that's been really, honestly, it's been just a life-giving thing for me. I know for Chris as well, and um, we're excited about that. So we'll give an update on that tonight. We also get to welcome 40-plus new members. And so we rolled out new members, and we get to welcome 40-plus new members that joined the church uh, over the last several months. And so, and it's exciting. It's an exciting time for us. Um, well, turn with me to 1 Samuel 16. We're going to get into the Word this morning, continuing this study of the life of David. And I, I was reminded over the last few weeks how much we all struggle with insecurity, uh, just through several different interactions that I've had with people in several different ways. Um, and it, it's, ama- it's easy to see how much we chase security, how much we long for, uh, for the world to feel secure and, and safe and to know that um, I think our greatest need is to, to love and to be loved. And sometimes we just feel a little bit unsure of all those things. We want to be included. We want to know that life is going to work out, but we don't always feel that way, do we? Uh, do you know, you know what I'm talking about? Those feelings that Maybe I don't know as much as I thought I did. Like there was a stage in life where I thought I was pretty smart and then I kept growing and thought, well, maybe not so smart. Maybe, maybe I don't know everything <clears throat> that there is to know. Uh, those feelings that, and I, I don't know if I can keep up with the pace and do everything that I want to do and need to do. Uh, it, just, it feels like I can't quite keep chasing this thing down called life. Those feelings of uncertainty about whether you're parenting well enough to ensure that your kids are gonna turn out right. Any of your parents feel that? And you know what I'm talking about, right? Someone told me the other day is, you never stop parenting, by the way. They said, you, you, you never, they never leave the house and it's just gone, but you're continually still chasing that thing down, going, man, how are they doing? How are we doing? What's going on? Those feelings that you aren't strong enough or smart enough or attractive enough. Do you ever feel that, students? You just wonder about how secure you should really be because of who you are. That sense of shame when you've looked at something you shouldn't have, when you drank more than you ought to have, when you lost your temper and lashed out at someone in a way that you shouldn't have, and you feel that guilt or that shame. 
Or maybe that feeling of a relationship when you know things aren't what they are, what they ought to be, but you're not sure you can get your significant other to do what they ought to do. And so you feel insecure and unsure about those things. Man, we all have these feelings, right? What is it we need to do with these things in life? And we deal with it in different ways. Some of us just kind of stuff it down and go, if I don't feel, maybe it won't be a problem. Others of us go the opposite direction and we just run around trying to help everyone and make them love us and think if I just serve them enough, then surely everything will be okay. Uh, Others of us deal with it in different ways. Some of us try to succeed and strive for excellence in everything so that no one could ever criticize us. If I just do it all right, no one can ever have anything negative to say. Some of us find a system of beliefs that we just put everything in a box and as long as everything fits there, I feel like I've got at least this rationale for the way the world works that I can justify it all. Some of us just keep everyone at arm's length. Don't let anyone get too close because we don't want to get hurt. All of us deal with this stuff in different kinds of ways. And uh, can I just let you in on a little bit of truth? The reason why you feel limited is because you're limited. The reason why you feel inadequate is because you're inadequate. The reason why you feel out of control is because you're not really in control. That's what life has taught us. That's what scriptures teach us. And I think it's important for us to know. And so let me just ask you an important question this morning. What if the point of of our lives isn't to be free from the tension, but to discover that you can trust God in it all? What if the point of your life is not that you've arrived and got to the point where there's no longer any insecurity, but, the point, but, but, but what if the point is that in the journey, you learn that you can trust God every step of the way? And that, I hope, is what we're going to see today. As we look at 1 Samuel, we're going to see the way God is working in the lives of Saul and the lives of David, and then um, hopefully that reflects a little bit on how we can learn about how God works in our life. Uh, it's interesting, Richard Phillips, uh, commentator, said this. He said, we cannot always see God's hand guiding our own lives, but we do see him at work in the lives of the great figures of the Bible. So maybe through seeing them, we'll learn something about how God's at work in our own lives as well. And so we're going to look at this narrative in First uh, Samuel verse, or chapter 16. And uh, th- this is a narrative section of Scripture. As you study the narratives of Scripture, one thing you need to know is sometimes it's not as easy to understand as like the clear commands of Scripture. Sometimes there's clear commands that are just really obvious. Sometimes you get to the epistles in the, in the New Testament, and there's these concise theological statements that say, here's truth. Narrative works a little different. It's a little more intuitive. You read through the story, and it's not so much prescriptive, but it's descriptive of the way God works. And so you have to kind of mine a little deeply to kind of discern from their experiences what God is like and what, what life is like. And so as you observe their stories and you see how life works and the messiness of Saul's life and the messiness of David's life, and ultimately what you see is, and we are all a mess and we're all in need of grace. And so it calls us to trust him as we observe the choices that they make and the way it affects and impacts their life. It tells us something about the choices we make and about also about our need for grace. And so as we study today, if we're going to deal with our security, uh, two things we have to learn. We have to learn that you can trust God with the things you can't control, and you have to take responsibility for the things you can. Uh, both those two things are really important. Uh, there's an old hymn that says, trust and obey for there's no other way. Be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. It's simple, but uh, there's a awful lot that goes into living that out. And so that's where we want to be today. So let's read uh, 1 Samuel 16. We're going to start in verse 14. 
Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servants said to him, behold, now a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And, and when the harmful spirit from God is upon him, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and the skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. It's an interesting passage. As you begin to try to unpack that, I think first thing that's obvious is Saul's in a miserable place, right? This is a guy that's tormented. He's in, a, he's in a difficult place. We see that the Spirit of the Lord left Saul because uh, the Spirit of the Lord wasn't kind of as we think about it in the New Testament. Often we think about it in terms of salvation. In the Old Testament, this isn't really speaking about salvation. The Spirit descended upon a leader to kind of demarcate him as the one God has chosen to lead and empower him to do the things that God needed him to do. And so when God rejected Saul and put his spirit down upon David and anointed David to be the future king, uh, there was this transition that took place and we looked at that last week. And so the spirit of God departed from Saul, but then there's this difficult thing and it says that a harmful spirit was sent from the Lord to torment Saul. Any one of you have trouble with that? Any of you want to be on the receiving end of that sort of a thing? Not at all, right? And so uh, there, there's a kind of a diversity of, uh, of views on what this really meant, but at the very least, God authorized or allowed someone from outside to come in and torment Saul in a way that should have gotten his attention and in, in, in a way was a discipline or a judgment upon Saul for his behavior. And so ideally, when he begins to experience this, what he realizes is, man, I need to repent and run to the Lord and be restored in my relationship to him. But instead, what happens? He's got some pretty lame advisors around him and all they can do is, hey, maybe if we play some music, this thing will get easier for you. So all they have to offer is, why don't, you, why don't you turn on some light jazz and have a glass of wine? And maybe it'll dissipate a little bit, right? Uh, there's things we do when we're stressed that maybe ease the moment, but maybe don't really solve the problem. He needed heart surgery and, and, and they were gonna put on some light listening. Um, maybe Saul needed something a little bit more. But what we've seen in Saul's life and, and from this episode is that what, what is obvious is through this experience, the stress he was feeling, the pressure of life he was feeling, as well as the torment he was feeling is this anguish that comes. That there's a sense in which he's, he, he's struggling with fear. And, and if we look at the chapters that come ahead, he struggles with kind of suspicion and paranoia. There's indecision. There's kind of this insecurity that develops in his life. And there's just this emotional and psychological difficulty that he walks through um, in terms of his own life. 
Now, what we've seen in these chapters, and uh, you guys remember last week, I got a little excited and went a little too far and didn't get all the way to land the plane at the end of the sermon. And so I had to, had to just stop. Well, we're picking it up back here. And so we're picking up on the chapters we looked at last week and picking up that story now. Think back to the chapters we looked at last week. When you go 1 Samuel 13, 14, 15, what we saw was the foundation of Saul's life begin to crack or the cracks in his foundation begin to show. That, that he didn't have the character that he needed to lead well and, all, and, and yet those things began to bubble up. Now, by all accounts, Saul had a successful kingdom from, from the externals. He pushed out the enemies. He expanded the lands. He brought peace in many ways. And so if, if you just look at the numbers, Saul seemed to have a pretty profitable, healthy kingdom. And yet these cracks began to show and, and those things left unchecked are going, to, are going to expose Saul and his people to more and more danger as they do in our lives as well. And in our world too, have you ever noticed that things seem to go unnoticed? That, that spiritual deficiencies seem to go unchecked and things just seem to move on down the road for a certain amount of time. But then a day of reckoning eventually comes. The same is true of Saul. Uh, Saul had a following among his people. He was a great warrior, but there was a vitality to his faith that was absent. And that's gonna create problems. So I wanna point out to you two events in Saul's life that really really illustrate his insecurity and the insecurity that he felt as a, uh, as a, as a follower of, of the Lord, but also as a king and as a leader. First Samuel 10, you see this verse that talks about, um, talks about his, his kind of inauguration. And uh, what happens here is it would be like, like going to inaugurate the president and they can't find him because he's hiding in the limo or hiding in the coat closet somewhere. And so what happens in, in verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 21, it says, but when the people sought Saul, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord, is there another man still to come? And the Lord said, behold, he's hidden himself among the baggage. And the guy that God chose to rule the people is hiding in the midst of all the luggage of all the people that have traveled to be there for his kind of inauguration. And, when, uh, and so they ran and they took Saul from there. And when Saul stood among the people, he was taller than any of them from his shoulders upwards. He was a head taller than every person there. And it says, and Samuel said to all the people, do you see whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, long live the king. And isn't it amazing that in a time where he's the one who's been chosen, he's the one who looks the part, uh, he's the one that all the people are, are screaming, long live the king for, he's feeling internally insecure and he wants to just run and hide. I mean, do you ever sense the same kind of thing in your own heart? That, that you're in the place to make a difference. You're the one that's been entrusted with this job, this responsibility, this parenting task, this, uh, this opportunity at work, this, this situation. You're the one that's been given an opportunity and, and, and been entrusted to this. And yet internally, you're just a mess. And you just think, man, I just want to run away right now. I don't really even want this responsibility. That's kind of how Saul was. Now flip over to 1 Samuel 15. You see a similar experience or more an expression. As Samuel comes to Saul, and this is kind of after Saul's been rejected by the Lord and he's fallen. And Samuel makes this fascinating statement in, in 15, 17. Samuel says, Saul, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord himself anointed you king over Israel. The Lord sent you on a mission. Do you feel the discrepancy there? Saul's going, Saul, 
I mean, Samuel's talking to Saul. Samuel the prophet's talking to him. He says, Saul, you're the one God chose. You're the one God sent on a mission. You're the one God placed as a king over all this. And yet you're so little in your own eyes. You won't step into the mantle of what God's called you to do and just be faithful in that moment because of his insecurity. And so you see this insecurity that takes place. And when we take our eyes off the Lord and place them on ourselves, we're always gonna feel too little for whatever task is at hand. We're always gonna struggle with insecurity. This is what brings about our anxiety and our stress. You know, when you feel anxious, do you know why you're anxious? Because you've either taken on for yourself something you can't do, or you've taken off your eyes off the Lord and not trusted him to do what he promised he would do. And so you begin to worry and you begin to stress and have anxiety. So here's what I wanna do today. Today, I wanna show you an exercise that I've discovered a couple weeks ago and has been really helpful for me. It comes from a guy named Paul Tripp in his book, um, I actually can't think of the name of his book, right? Instruments in the Redeemer's Hand. And this exercise, I think, is gonna be really helpful for you. I've shared it with several different groups. I've shared it with our staff. We shared it with our group leaders. I've shared it with my, my oldest boys in a conversation we had about stuff going on in their school life. And every one of those, I feel like it's been profitable. And I, I just wanna share this with you as a tool to kind of put in your tool chest for you to use as you kind of process your own decisions and your own insecurities and your own kind of navigating of life. And so let me just unpack this. We've got these two circles that are here. And these are circles of concern and circle of responsibility. And these two circles really depict that which is going on in our life. Let me start with the first one, the circle of responsibility. What goes in that circle is the things that are important to me that I can, can, that I can change. So the things that I'm responsible for, the things that, that I can actually affect some change in, and they're my responsibilities, things that, that, that are important to me and I need to, I need to do well in these areas. And so that's my responsibility. Let's look at the outer circle. The outer circle is uh, the circle of concern. Those are things that are important to me that I cannot change. Things that are important to me, they're outside of my control and outside of my influence. And maybe I can speak to them, but I have no ability to control what happens in those realms. I don't have the ability to change them. Now, when we get ourselves in troubles, when we get these two circles confused, when we mix up which things go in which circle is when we begin to struggle. And so sometimes what happens is we shirk our responsibility in hopes that God or someone else will do our job. So we, we, we don't wanna be responsible. We don't wanna actually step in and do the thing that God's called us to do and do the right thing because we just hope that God's gonna rescue us or someone else will step in and do it. And so we're not being faithful to take responsibility for those things and we kind of shrug off or shirk our responsibility. Now, that, that's one of the dangers we can get in is when we begin to kind of minimize that responsibility circle and just say, well, this is someone else's concern. Now, the other responsibility is the opposite. When we begin to step outside of our responsibility and take responsibility for things that are in the concern circle. Those are areas where sometimes uh, we take concerns upon ourselves and try to make them ours to fix. Um, Any of you ever struggle with that? Like you see a concern and no one's asked you to do it, but you think I ought to try to fix it and you end up making it worse instead of better? Um, This to me is a really helpful thing for us to think about. Now, what should we do in each circle? When you think about the responsibility circle, what is it you're called to do? There you're called to obey God. In the responsibility circle, what you need to do is just be obedient. Just be faithful. Do the thing in front of you. Do the next right thing. Obey what the Lord's called you to do. And then in the circle of concern, we're called to trust God, that we entrust to him 
the responsibility in those areas for the things that are outside of our control, even though they're concerning to us, even though they're troublesome to us, even though they create anxiety and worry and stress for us, what we have to do is stay in our realm and be responsible and obey the things that we have, that we've been given to do and trust the Lord with everything else. Um, Do you see how that works? Can I see how that unpacks? So here's what I want us to do is we consider, I want us to consider the life of Paul I mean, in the life of Saul. And I showed you a minute ago his insecurity and just how he had this kind of anxiousness and uncertainty that became kind of this paralyzing uh, inability to act as a leader. Um, and that character flaw really began to create different problems in Saul's life. And last week we looked at, at three, different, uh, three different episodes in his life. I wanna go back and just revisit those in light of this, uh, this graphic and, and think about them in terms of kind of what we're looking at here. In 1 Samuel 13, Saul was, he was facing the enemy, the Philistines, and Samuel had said he'll come and Saul wanted him to come and make a sacrifice that they would seek the Lord to make the sacrifice before they went out into battle. And so the Philistines are there. There's, they've got this huge army. They've got better weapons than everyone else. So um, that's gonna be a stressor, right? So for, for Saul, that's a concern. I've got a big enemy with better weapons than we do. So I'm starting to feel that as a concern. Then there's another concern. His people start to see the Philistines and it says that some of his army begins to become deserters. So they begin to leave. So if you're the leader of this army facing this battle and your people start to leave, what are you gonna feel? At least concern, right? Like you're gonna begin to feel concern. So that's concern number two. Concern number three, he wanted to seek the Lord and have the sacrifice, but Samuel hadn't showed up yet. And Samuel said, I'll be there in seven days. Seventh day comes, Samuel's not there. Saul begins to feel more and more concern. What does Saul do? Saul says, I'm gonna go charge ahead and take, take this, um, to kind of take charge on my own. Saul goes and he does the sacrifice, which he wasn't allowed to do before Samuel gets there. See, Saul, because of his concerns, took his circle of responsibility and said, well, I must be responsible to do what Samuel was supposed to do. And he stepped into that and he actually creates more of a problem. Do you see how that works? So that's one of the ways in which you see, uh, if you look at this, circle slide, Saul stepped outside of his own responsibility where he was called to obey God. And because he didn't trust God with the enemy, because he didn't trust God with the deserters, because he didn't trust God to get Samuel there, he said, well, I'm gonna take those concerns and make them my own. I'm gonna try to fix it. So then uh, let's look at another one. Um, in Second Samuel, or 1 Samuel 14, we see another episode where Saul blew it. Uh, it's, a, it's another battle scene. And as you begin to think about this scene, um, Saul is gonna, Saul at first is afraid to enter into the battle, right? So uh, you may remember this is the scene we looked at last week where uh, Saul's kind of staying back and he's actually got these rejected priests that are there. He's gathered these, these kind of corrupt spiritual advisors around himself. He's actually not charging into battle and faithfully obeying the Lord and doing what he's supposed to do, but he's sitting back. Who does? Jonathan, his son. Jonathan says, I'm gonna go. And Jonathan leads out and Jonathan starts the battle. And so Saul stays back, even when he sees that Jonathan's the one out fighting this battle and that God's beginning to move and God's beginning to work and they're beginning to win this battle. He still waits and he calls the priest over and says, why don't you just kind of pray to the Lord and get an affirmation or an assurance that God's going to, God's gonna take care of us. Do you see how he's fearful? He's not trusting the Lord with those concerns again. And so he's staying back and not going into the battle. Well, then what happens? He begins to see that this battle takes is going really, really well. And now he doesn't want to get, he doesn't want to miss out on the opportunity to go be a part. So now he flips and he begins to charge into battle. And when he does, what does it say he, what did you see last week that he does? Um, he, he foolishly charges into battle and presses his army 
to keep on fighting. Remember, he didn't let his army have any food and then he made them fight all night long. And so now his army is exhausted because he's overextended them. Why? Because again, he didn't trust the Lord to take care of. He was afraid that the enemy was gonna get away. And so he didn't wanna take a moment to let his troops nourish themselves. He didn't wanna take a moment to let his troops rest. And so he pressed them too far. But at the root of it was a trust problem, wasn't it? I have a concern. Maybe the enemy is going to get away. So I'm going to take that on, my, on myself and try to push my people on in order to make that my responsibility to eradicate this enemy. He didn't do what he needed to do. Let's look at one more. 1 Samuel 15. In, in this instance as well, uh, we see a, a very similar problem that takes place. And he was called, he was given a, a clear command from God to wipe out the Amalekites and to eradicate all of their stuff. And so they were not supposed to allow anyone to live. They were not supposed to allow any spoils of war to come back home. And so it was just a very clear, easy, not easy, very clear, simple command that he was called to do, and yet he didn't do it. And so what happens is he lets Agag, the king of the Amalekites, come back home, and he lets his people bring back all the best of the livestock as spoils of war. And so when you get there, Samuel has to confront him, and he says it's better to what? Obey than to sacrifice. Because Saul says, I'm sorry when he's done, but he didn't obey the Lord and didn't do what he was called to do. Um, it's interesting why Saul says he did this. Saul admitted... Um, he admitted that afterwards that he needed the people's, that he overlooked God's commandment because he needed the people's affirmation. Here's his exact quote. He says, I feared the people and I obeyed their voice. And isn't it interesting that because of his concerns of his reputation amongst the people, he obeyed their voice, but he disobeyed God's voice. How often does that happen in our lives? And when we just Students, you feel the peer pressure. You feel someone calling you to do something, driving you to do something, pressing you to do something, and you obey their voice and you ignore the voice of the Lord. That's, you've got your circles confused. You've got it reversed in terms of what you need to do. Now, do you see how Saul kept um, avoiding his responsibility and then taking on himself responsibilities that really weren't his to bear? That's a problem and it's a weakness in terms of his leadership. That's why he's such a mess when we get to chapter 16 is because he's continually put himself in this kind of a problem. Now let's shift and let's look at David. I think it's helpful to see a contrast here uh, before you guys get panicky and just run out of here going, man, what are we gonna do? I, we're all a bunch of souls and we need to leave. And so don't leave yet. Let's look at David and see where we can find some hope that maybe this could go a little bit better. And when you think about David, on the other hand, what we see in him is the young David was obedient to God, that he was faithful to do the thing in front of him that he was called to do, but he was also willing to live within his responsibilities. When you look at chapter 16, the verses that we read, where was David when, uh, when, when this man comes and says, hey, there's a young man of the house of Jesse who I, I think could, would, would meet this need to play the music for, for King Saul. Where was David when they went to look for him? He was back with the sheep, right? Isn't that fascinating? At the, end, or at the beginning of chapter 16, David is anointed as the future king of, of Israel. He, of all his brothers, is the one chosen. And Samuel dumps a bunch of oil over his head and anoints him and says, you're gonna be the king, the one that rules God's people. And in the very next scene, where is he? He's back where he was beginning at, at the beginning, which is running around with the sheep, serving them, taking care of them, doing the thing that was, that was, uh, that was in front of him. Now, I think that's a, a fascinating thing for us when we begin to think about what it is that, da or where it was that David, um, that David had gone. I mean, when you think about David, 
would have been pretty easy to gloat over his brothers. It would have been pretty easy to take a victory lap. It would have been pretty easy for him to start like putting his cabinet together and putting things together and deciding like, what do I want my, my crown to look like and kind of jump ahead and jump into kingship. But he didn't. He waited and he waited and he waited and he went and was a servant. Now, it's interesting in the midst of this that it, that, 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 uh, that role of him being a shepherd and a servant it's fascinating to see how much God shaped David, how much God trained David, how much God used kind of the mundane and the monotonous work of being a shepherd to kind of shape David for the leadership he was going to have down the road. In fact, it was as a shepherd, he honed his skills with a sling, which we're gonna see next week. It helped him take down Goliath. He was protecting the sheep, he said, from bears and from attack of lions. It was as a shepherd, he learned to think deeply about life in the quiet moments that allowed him to process the things that were happening to him. It was as a shepherd that David likely began to sing and to write songs, that he likely wandered through those hills with the sheep and in the quiet of the night began to write those things that became the Psalms that we still sing today. It was likely in those moments that he learned the humility as he wandered in the obscurity of the countryside with no audience or no one to lead. And God often takes his leaders and makes them followers and servants before he allows them to take a next step. It's interesting, one of those Psalms, Psalm 78, says this. It says, God chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. From, uh, from following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob his people, Israel his inheritance. With an upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with a skillful hand. See, God took a shepherd who learned to care for sheep and said, now I care for my people and gave him a greater responsibility. Mothers and fathers that often feel overlooked doing changing diapers in the middle of the night, do you know that sometimes it's in the monotony and the mundane moments that God's shaping you? That he's teaching you something about himself? That he's, he's molding you and building something in you? Students, when you're taking classes that don't seem to amount to much, do you know that God uses that to shape you and mold you and teach you how to be faithful in the mundane and the monotonous stuff? Some of you are qualified to do all kinds of work, but you feel stuck in a job that doesn't feel fully satisfying. But you know, even in that, God can use that to shape you and mold you and prepare you for something else. God's oftentimes at work in the mundane stuff of life to, to shape our hearts and to, to, to kind of mold us. It's, it's oftentimes in those, in those moments where he puts us on the anvil and he begins to chop away and kind of, kind of take away the stuff that he wants, to, he wants us to shed and build into us the things of strength that he wants to put there. It's interesting to me that what you see of David, what, do they, what did the man say of David when he talked about him? He said, this is a man who is skillful in playing, meaning he had honed his craft. He is, he's a man of valor, means he's got courage. He's a man of war, meaning he's not afraid to take a stand for what is right. He's a man of good presence, meaning that, <clears throat> that he's, there's, there's dignity and honor uh, about his person, that there's a, a positive presence. He's not a joyless downer, but he's a life-giving presence around those. He's a man, it, <clears throat> it says, who's prudent in speech. Jesus said the mouth reveals our hearts. And so David had learned to govern his speech by shaping his heart. And God had used those times out as a shepherd in order to build those things into him. And lastly, he says, and the Lord is with him. And that's the most important thing. The Lord is with him. David had, a, had the presence of God with him. And so it's this man that came into Saul and began to serve 
Saul as a leader. And he was a servant leader. It's interesting in verse 21, it says, David entered into Saul's what? Service. And isn't it fascinating that the one that God anoints as his future king immediately goes and serves sheep and then goes and serves a, a distraught and dangerous king. And he's a servant to him. When you go back to the circles and you think about this slide, think about David. And David was, was entering into a place that could have given him lots of concerns, right? Imagine if you're the, you're the young guy that's been anointed the future king, like what if Saul hears about that? Like you might be putting yourself in danger. In fact, what we're gonna see is that's exactly what happened, is that danger was actually entering into a dangerous place because he was in competition with Saul and Saul would see him as, as the enemy in the competition that may usurp him. David, may, you can imagine as a young guy, how often do you think that, um, man, if I don't seize this moment, maybe it'll pass by me. If I don't grab the reins and take hold of this, maybe I won't ever get to really be king. And you think well, he's, been, he's been called king and then gets sent back out to the sheep? How many young men do you know would have just gone out there kicking the dirt and just, you know, cussing up a storm thinking, well, I'm back at stupid sheep. And, you know, you just got all that stuff. Like that would have been so easy for David to do. And yet David goes and comes back. He, he's faithful to, to obey God in the things that he's called to obey. He's not trying to hurry his ascendancy to the throne. He's waiting on God's timing. He trusted the Lord to bring it about in his own time. And he did the, the right task in front of him and trusted God with all the other stuff a good example for us, right? And I find this incredibly encouraging, that God works through an everyday guy doing everyday stuff and uses that to shape who he is and prepare him for what it is that he wants him to do. And then God's going to use him. Chuck Swindoll says, when God develops our inner qualities, he's never in a hurry. Um, can you say amen to that? Like sometimes you wish you'd hurry up, right? But sometimes it takes a long time, but it's oftentimes in that mundane stuff. Let me just uh, share this with you. This week, it was interesting. Uh, this is a, a place that I struggle as well. I remember the, one of the first times I learned this in leadership was in, in my first church job, I felt like there were some things that were just not going the way they should have. And I remember talking to one, a mentor and friend of mine and said, man, I'm just, and I just had all this angst about the stuff that was going on. I had these concerns and I wanted to make them my responsibility. And I said, and I think I need to go to the elders. I think I need to do all this. And my, my mentor looked at me and he said, does anyone ask your opinion? Well, no. He was like, has anyone invited you into that conversation? I said, no. And I said, well, has anyone invited you to be a part of the group where that decision was made? I said, no. And he said, huh. And he said, but you believe God's sovereign, right? And I was like, well, in theory. You know, like I've had the class on that, but I had, like, I had to learn to trust that, right? Because I wanted to make a concern, my responsibility, and my friend, my mentor just said, hey, you just need to take a breath. Worry about the thing in front of you. Someday you can worry about that other stuff. Now I get to worry about all that stuff and I'm like, man, can I go back to being the other guy? Right, like, so that works sometimes. Uh, this week I was reading, this is a book called The Life of David by Arthur Pink. And I was reading it and, and that, the episode I told you about was about 20 years ago, I was struggling with this. Um, as I was reading this week, let's see if I can find it. Uh, this card fell out and, and this card I wrote about 10 years ago. Anyone know what's on the top of it? There's two columns. One says, things I can't control. The other says, things I can control. And I had made a list because I was processing a decision. So I was struggling with this 10 years ago going, man, some of this feels out of my control, but I really wish I could make it all work the way I want to. And I was reminded of that, that this life of David, I was looking at this 10 years ago, reading this book as I was processing what's going on in my own life. And you know what? I still struggle with this. I still struggle with this today. I'm never going to get to a place where I don't struggle with this because I'm always gonna have concerns. 
But you know what? The point of the spiritual life is not about eliminating the concerns. It's about learning to trust God and obey God in the midst of the journey. And that we're all invited into. And so, man, can I just encourage you as you think about um, that this week? Um, we'll actually put this, uh, this graphic out um, in, in another form with a little more information. Uh, kind of if you go to our website and you go to where the sermon link is and where the media player is, we'll, we'll put a downloadable document there for you. And I just encourage you to grab that and just use it to kind of meditate on and think about during the week and just ask yourself, man, what are the things in my life that are in that circle of responsibility? And then what are the concerns in my life that need to be there? And have I, have I got some things in the wrong circle? Do I need to readjust some things and make sure they're in the right place? Am I pressing myself out of my responsibilities and taking hold of stuff that no one's asked me to do? That I need, just need to trust the Lord to those things? Or are there places where maybe I'm shirking my responsibility and I just need to be faithful, Lord, and obey him in those things? And so as you, as you think through that this week, and just let that be a tool that you help kind of guide your own spiritual life as you kind of walk through those things. You know, it's fascinating to me when you get to the New Testament, when Jesus was anointed and through his baptism and God said, this is my son, you know what the first thing he did was? He went out to the wilderness by himself. Basically went out to go be a shepherd out in the middle of nowhere. You know what happened? Satan came and tempted him. You know what all three of those temptations were? He was tempting Jesus to take the wrong, to, get, to put himself in the wrong circle. Jesus, turn this stone into bread. Take responsibility for something that's not yours. Jesus, throw yourself off this cliff and um, see if the angels will save you. Jesus, I will, if you'll bow down to me, I'll give you all of these, uh, everything in this world is your own kingdom. Will you take more than what you were intended to do? And Jesus was faithful and he didn't do it. That's why we know Jesus was able to, to rescue us. It's why we worship him. It's why we trust him with our lives. And so he was the one who never got this confused. And we get this confused. I mess this up all the time. Jesus never did. And so he deserves our trust and our worship. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I pray. And I just ask that you would that you'd be at work in our lives, that you would help us to trust and obey. Father, in all those areas and all those anxieties and stresses and worries and things we can't control, would you help us? Would you just free us to trust you? Father, and in those things that you've asked and you've given us to do, those responsibilities as, as a husband or wife or as a single in our world, those responsibilities as a parent or as a child, as an employee or as a boss, as a small group leader, Father, as a serve team leader, whatever it is that you've called us to do, would you help us to be faithful, to obey you in, in every way? Father, and we trust your grace where we don't, knowing that Jesus was enough. Father, and that is good. And so we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <laughs>